and welcome to SNC's Critical Insight podcast series. My name is Matt Rosenberg, and I'm an associate in the Intellectual Property and Technology Transactions Group at Sullivan and Cromwell. Here with me to discuss state privacy laws is Ryan Logan, a special counsel here at SNC. Good afternoon, Matt. It's good to be here. So today we're here to talk about some of the recent developments in U.S. privacy law at the state level, including Connecticut's Act Concerning Personal Data Privacy and Online Monitoring, which was recently signed into law by Governor Ned Lamont on May 10th. We'll also discuss the Utah Consumer Privacy Act, which was signed into law by Governor Spencer Cox on March 24th. Utah and Connecticut become the fourth and fifth states, respectively, to pass comprehensive privacy legislation, joining Colorado, Virginia, and California. We will discuss some key distinctions in these laws, including the scope and applicability of the laws, how key terms are defined, which specific rights are granted to individuals with respect to their personal information, and different compliance obligations that the state privacy laws impose on companies that collect personal information from individuals in these states. Finally, we'll discuss what else can be expected during the rest of 2022 and beyond. So Ryan, why don't we dig into the Connecticut law first, or the CTDPA? What are some of the key features of the CTDPA? Well, Matt, similar to the Virginia, Colorado, and Utah models, the CTTPA is based, at least in part, on the Washington Privacy Act. Although this act failed to pass in Washington state due to a split between legislators over the inclusion of a private right of action, it appears to be setting the tone for other states seeking to enact a comprehensive privacy law. Some of the key features of the CDDPA include a strong opt-out framework, absence of a rulemaking process, stronger protections for children's data and biometric data, and the absence of a private right of action. When does the Connecticut law go into effect? The Connecticut law will go into effect July 1st, 2023, which is the same day that Colorado's law becomes effective. That is six months after the laws in California and Virginia will go into effect, and six months before Utah's law becomes effective at the end of 2023. Okay, and which businesses are going to be subject to the CTDPA? The law applies to entities that conduct business in Connecticut or produce products or services that are targeted to Connecticut residents that either control or process the personal data of at least 100,000 Connecticut residents or control or process the personal data of at least 25,000 Connecticut residents and derive 25% of their gross revenue from the sale of personal data. Interestingly, the Connecticut law expressly excludes personal data processed solely for payment transactions from being counted toward these thresholds. And unlike the California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, and the California Privacy Rights Act, or CPRA, the Connecticut law does not establish an annual revenue threshold. Instead, one of the two data collection prongs previously mentioned needs to be satisfied no matter the size of the business. Similar to the other state privacy laws, there are exemptions for specific entities, such as for state and local government entities and nonprofits, and for specific information collected, such as protected health information subject to HIPAA. What rights can Connecticut residents expect under this act? Similar to the Virginia and Colorado laws, the Connecticut law includes a right to access personal data, a right to correct personal data, a right to delete personal data provided by or obtained about them, a right to data portability, and a right to opt out of certain types of processing of personal data. Earlier, you mentioned that the CTDPA had a particularly strong opt-out framework. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. 
Like the Virginia and Colorado laws, the CTDPA provides residents with the right to opt out of sales, targeted advertising, and profiling. Similar to California and Colorado, Connecticut broadly defines sales to include exchanges of personal data for monetary or other valuable consideration, whereas Virginia and Utah limit sales to only those exchanges of personal data made for monetary consideration. Does the Connecticut law say anything about opt-out signals? Yes. Starting January 1st, 2025, data controllers must recognize opt-out preference signals. As mentioned earlier, however, there is no rulemaking process under the CTDPA, so the Connecticut Attorney General will not be required to issue regulations on what the opt-out signals need to look like. This is unlike California, where the California AG recently advised that global privacy control a signal developed by a coalition of news organizations and technology companies, must be honored by covered businesses as a valid consumer request to stop the sale of personal information. You mentioned earlier that a key feature of this law is stronger protection for children's data and biometric data. Can you speak to that? Definitely. First, with respect to children's data, the Connecticut law requires that controllers obtain parental consent for processing personal data from a known child which the law defines as a child under the age of 13. The Connecticut law also provides that controllers are prohibited from selling or processing a consumer's personal data for targeted advertising without consent if the controller has actual knowledge of and willfully disregards that the consumer is between 13 and 16 years old. This secondary consent requirement is not found in the Virginia or Colorado laws and is more comparable to that in the CPRA, which prohibits selling or sharing data of consumers under 16 years old without consent. Second, similar to the Virginia and Colorado laws, businesses must obtain opt-in consent from consumers before processing their sensitive data, which includes biometric data. The CTDPA defines biometric data similarly to the Virginia law and includes fingerprints, voice prints, scans of eye retinas and irises, and other unique biological patterns and characteristics. However, the CTDPA is unique in that its definition of biometric data excludes a digital or physical photograph, an audio or video recording, or any data generated from a digital or physical photograph or an audio or video recording unless such data is generated to identify a specific individual. The CTDPA would cover, for example, measurements or scans of facial geometry obtained from photos that may be used to identify a specific individual. Thanks, Ryan. That's really interesting. But let's move on to the Utah Consumer Privacy Act, or the UCPA. For those listening, I'd like to quickly note that we published a memo summarizing this act in late April, and that can be found on SNC's website under the Publications tab, and on the privacy practice page. That being said, Ryan, why don't you give us a quick rundown of this law? What does the Utah law apply to, and what rights can Utah residents expect under this act? Sure. The UCPA applies to any entity that conducts business in Utah or produces products or services that are targeted to Utah residents, has annual revenue of $25 million or more, and annually controls or processes the personal data of at least 100,000 Utah residents, or controls or processes the personal data of at least 25,000 Utah residents, and derives over 50% of its gross revenue from the sale of personal data. Under the UCPA, Utah consumers have the right to know or confirm processing activity, access their personal data, obtain a copy of their personal data in a portable and readily usable format, delete their personal data, opt out of targeted advertising and sales of personal data, and avoid discrimination as a result of exercising any of their rights under the UCPA. 
And what are the key features of the UCPA? What differentiates it from other states that have passed similar legislation? Generally speaking, the Utah law is a bit more business-friendly than the Connecticut law we just discussed. For example, there is no requirement for controllers to obtain opt-in consent from consumers before processing their sensitive data. There are no requirements to conduct any data protection impact assessments, and consumers only have limited rights of deletion under the Utah law. Additionally, as previously mentioned, Utah has a narrower definition of the term sale that is limited to the exchange of personal data for monetary consideration. And similar to the Connecticut law, it does not contain a private right of action. You said something interesting earlier. You said it has a more limited right of deletion. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Under the UCPA, a consumer only has the right to have the controller delete personal data provided by the consumer to the controller unless an exception to the deletion requirement applies. This stands in direct contrast to some of the other states that expand this right to personal data collected by the controller through third parties, including data brokers, or inference data generated by the controller. Okay, so this has been a good discussion of the Utah and Connecticut laws, but what else can we expect during the rest of 2022 at the state level? While many of the state legislatures have adjourned their respective legislative sessions, currently there are nine states considering similar bills. Louisiana, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. It is possible we may see one or more of these states pass a comprehensive privacy law before the end of this legislative session. Also, we can expect to see regulations from the California Privacy Protection Agency, which is a new agency established by the CPRA. As drafted, the CPRA provides for regulations to be finalized by July 1st, 2022, which is six months in advance of the CPRA's January 1st, 2023 effective date. However, the California Privacy Protection Agency has indicated that it may not issue draft regulations until the third quarter of 2022. Although this will not delay enforcement of the CPRA, it will create a period of ambiguity until these regulations are published. Have you noticed any other interesting trends you want to discuss? I think one of the interesting trends that I've noticed is a transition away from the CCPA and CPRA's definitions and towards the definitions used in the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR. For example, all four of the comprehensive state privacy laws passed in states other than California use the term personal data rather than personal information and the terms controller and processor rather than business, service provider, contractor, and third party that are used in the CCPA and CPRA. Given the extensive experience many U.S. companies have with GDPR and the confusion generated by the CCPA and CPRA's terminology, these terms appear to more closely align with many companies' existing compliance frameworks, carry with them historical clarity, and are becoming the standard many companies are using in their form or template data processing agreements. What about de-identified data? Do the state privacy laws diverge from the CCPA with respect to how they treat de-identified data? Interestingly enough, they did not. Each of the five state privacy laws requires controllers or businesses in California to take three actions to ensure that personal data fit within the definition of de-identified in their respective laws. First, controllers must take reasonable measures to ensure that such data cannot be associated with an individual or a device linked to such individual or household lit depending on the applicable law. Second, controllers must publicly commit to processing and using such data only in a de-identified fashion and not attempt to re-identify such data. 
Third, controllers must contractually obligate any recipients of de-identified data to also comply with the aforementioned requirements. Because the requirements imposed on controllers with respect to de-identified data are the same across the five comprehensive state privacy laws, to the extent companies subject to these laws have not yet done so, they should update their security measures, privacy policies or notices, and contracts to reflect these requirements with respect to their creation, use, and disclosure of de-identified data. Based on everything we've been discussing, it sounds like these laws will be imposing a number of new obligations on companies. Do you expect any trends with respect to enforcement of these laws? As additional states pass comprehensive privacy legislation, I would expect future multi-state enforcement actions by the relevant AGs and the California Privacy Protection Agency. This has been common practice in past enforcement actions in the data breach context, with the notable exceptions of the new California Privacy Protection Agency and the enforcement authority granted to district attorneys in Colorado. Essentially the same personnel in the various AG offices will likely have this additional privacy enforcement responsibility and will be able to leverage their existing relationships to look for efficiencies in light of limited enforcement resources. This is likely to be particularly true in terms of gathering evidence and building cases against controllers or processors who violate any of these state privacy laws. One interesting aspect to play out will be how any multi-state enforcement actions reconcile the differing breach standards, cure periods, and remedies available under the varying state laws. Thanks, Ryan. This has been very interesting, and thanks everyone for listening to SNC's Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us online at www.solcrom.com.